Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 44 and we are recording on August 30th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. I know. <laughs> I have no banter today. I was like, well, I usually have a thing to say. I don't have a thing to say. I'm not. Yeah, same. Okay. It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> it did get hot again. What is up with that? Um, <laughs> I do have a thing. Book Riot Live. Okay. We finally started announcing the program. Finally. I was like waiting and waiting, waiting for the moment. Um, so I'm super excited that it's here. Uh, so we've started announcing the programming for Book Riot Live, which if you don't know, is our two-day convention um, celebrating books and the reading life. It is here in New York City. It's on November 12th and 13th. You can check out the first batch of panels that we've announced at bookriotlive.com slash schedule and you should register and you can get $20 off your registration if you use the code jazzhands when you are checking out that is like our gift from get booked to you our listeners you get 20 bucks off your weekend registration with the code jazzhands so all of the information is at bookriotlive.com and you should go check it out all right. Indeed. Okay, but you're listening to this show, which is about reading recommendations. <laughs> so let's do that. Um, so as I said, this is a reading recommendation show, which means that you send us questions and we answer them. You can send them to us any number of ways. You can email them to getbooked at bookriot.com. You can tweet them at us. I'm Jen IRL on Twitter. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. And Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can also put your questions into the form that's at the end of every uh, post on the site for Get Booked. It's the show notes, and then there's a form at the bottom you can put your question in. If you, It is a time-sensitive question. So, like, you know, you're going on vacation and you want to know what to read, or there's a birthday coming up and you're not sure what, to, what book to buy them, that kind of thing. Um, please do mention it either in the subject line of the email or at the very top of the question at the form um, so that we will hopefully see it and get to it as soon as possible. We're doing our best. Um, we're also starting to email back some responses to folks who have asked questions that maybe are very similar to ones we've already answered answered on air. Um, so rather than having you wait for like who knows how long for us to cycle back around to it again, we'll just email you the links to the books that we think you would like. So that is how the show works. And question one is me. Okay, I'm just going to keep on talking. <laughs> let's, let's roll. Let's do it. Our first question is from A. Becker. Uh, hello, Amanda and co-host. Uh, I have two questions that are similar in nature. I just finished reading The Girl on the Train, and it was amazing. However, now I feel like everyone else did when they finished reading A Little Life. Do you have any recommendations on what to read next to fill the void that has a similar narrative setup style, etc.? Question two, the same concept regarding the Left Behind series, but does not need to be a Christian genre. Thanks so much, and look forward to the next podcast. Okay, before we answer the question, or both these two questions, we're going to do our first sponsor, and that will be me telling you about it. I am not. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to sponsor my own show. Um, So our first one is a title. 
It's called The Call. It's by Patter O'Gillian, which is just like the greatest Irish name. Um, and this is like a, a kind of a fantasy, scary fairy book, which I am like so here for. Um, the author, Patter O'Gillian, uh, O'Gillian, sorry, grew up in Donegal, which is in Northwest Ireland. So it has this like feel that sort of cold Irish uh, kind of feel. It's very folk tale-ish. And um, the main character's name is Shed High. Uh, and she wakes up in this, like, you wake up alone in this horrible la- land. You hear this horn sound off in the distance. And that is The Call, which is the title of the book and also the title of this situation. Um, when The Call begins, you have three minutes and four seconds to save your life uh, from the Sheet High, which is, I'm sorry, that's not the main character. That's the name of these fairies, which are, like, beautiful and terrible. The main character's name is Nessa. She's 14. She knows she's going to go on the call soon and have to save herself from these fairies who are going, you know, like out to kill her. No one thinks she has any chance of surviving this uh, trial, but she's kind of got this idea that, you know, she's going to prove them wrong, not just because she's defiant, because, but also because if she doesn't, you know, she's going to die. So it's a fantasy thriller with a very young adult uh, character, main character, uh, with scary horror fairies. Like, I don't know what else you want other than Irish scary horror fairies. It sounds pretty awesome to me. So check out The Call uh, by Patter O'Gillian. And yeah, thanks for sponsoring the show. Do you want me to just keep going? I'll just yeah, keep just keep going. Okay, um, so the first question is a read like for Girl on the Train. The second one is a read like for the Left Behind series. So I'll just, I guess I'll just do... Whatever, I'll just do the first one. So my pick for you for the Girl on the Train read like is The Fever by Megan Abbott. And the reason why I picked this is because it's got the similar... Um, like unreliable narrator. There's a lot of narrative slights of hand where, you know, you don't, uh, the author's leading you down one path, which might be the wrong path. And that happens a couple of times. And the idea behind this novel is that uh, Megan Abbott writes these just really awesome noirish crime thriller mysteries around centered around teenage girls, which is just, I love that so much because teenage girls don't get, you know, they don't get to be villains a lot in, um, these in like noir sort of crime novels. Um, so the narrators, the book is told from three different perspectives, all uh, in the Nash family, Tom, who's a teacher at a school. He's got two teenagers, Eli, um, who's like a hockey star. He's a really popular kid. He's like a girl magnet and his sister, Eli's sister, um, Deanie, who's like a really good student, she has two best friends, two female friends in school. And then one day at school, Deanie's best friend has some weird, unexplained seizure in the middle of class. Frothing at the mouth, unconscious, eyes in the back of the head, the whole thing. Um, nobody can explain what happened to her. She kind of goes, not missing, but, you know, she goes off into the hospital and uh, is unconscious, can't really explain what happened to herself or, uh, you know, the doctors can't, uh, don't have any reason for her to have the seizure, but then it starts happening to more and more girls in the school and all you know, this ignites this like mass hysteria in this, um, community. And so the book is about trying to figure out what's happening to these girls. Is it, um, you know, how that they go swimming in this reservoir that's got some weird algae growing in it and that's like making them have these seizures is it some sort of fever uh, or illness is it a side effect of the hpv vaccination which when this book came out that was a big thing in the news at that time was um you know the hpv vaccine and does it make you ill and paralyze you and all this stuff um is it just like teenage girls being overly dramatic which is a thing we often accuse teenage girls of being 
so that's the idea behind the book is you're, you're trying to figure out what's happening and it's told from the perspective of two men and a teenage girl, which is really interesting, but you don't like what you think is happening is probably not real is probably not what's happening, which is the same thing that's going on in the girl on the train. And it's very fast paced, like girl on the train. Um, and the narrators you might not like so much, which man, I hate it. Is it Rachel? I think is her name of the girl on the train. She got on my nerves so much, but I cared about what happened to her. And that's the same thing that's going on here. So that's the fever by Megan Abbott. Nice. Uh, my first, my pick for you for the girl on the train read alike is I picked it because it, in the sense of the narration, it's only got one main character, so you don't get that switching viewpoints. But like girl on the train, you are figuring out what's going on along with the narrator. You don't know any more than she does, which is similar to what goes on there. Like you're discovering it alongside of the characters. Um, and you think you can see th- certain things coming and you are so wrong. Um, and the book is called Turn of Mind by Alice LaPlante. LaPlante excuse me. Uh, and the main character, Dr. Jennifer White, um, used to be a brilliant surgeon and now she's got early onset Alzheimer's. Um, and her best friend, Amanda, has been murdered like and her body is like weirdly disfigured like a bunch of her fingers have been cut off in this very precise surgical manner um and so the police are researching this and jennifer is trying to like help with the investigation but also she has this sneaking suspicion that maybe she did it because of the way that the body has been disfigured but she doesn't remember doing it um and so she's struggling to like hang on to the present day because she's got Alzheimer's and she's you know not always present. Um, she's like keeping a journal, trying to keep track of what's going on. She's struggling to deal with her family members. And um, there's all of these things happening in her life that she has little to no control over. But she's trying to piece together all of the clues while still like hanging on to her brain. Um, and it's really intense, like very tense. Uh, sort of you're just like oh my god what is happening Um, and the characters are so interesting like I don't even remember if there are any dudes in this book it's Jennifer (laughs) and then her daughter is one of the characters and then you hear a lot about her friendship with Amanda Um, and they're not exactly you know they're not typically likable um, but they're fascinating and they're very compelling and this book just kind of blew my mind so that is Turn of Mind by Alice LaPlante Okay, um, the second question was for something I read alike for the Left Behind series, which I did read uh, several, maybe like a decade ago. Uh, and so my pick for you is The Stand by Stephen King, which I also read about a decade ago. They're very interesting things to read back to back. So for, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the Left Behind series is a uh, series of novels that literally interprets the end of days as told in the Bible. So like Revelation and Isaiah and all of that. And it brings it all into modern life. And there's like, there's a rapture and like it very literally interprets, not even interprets it, like takes very literally the things in the Bible about the end of, you know, the apocalypse and makes them into uh, a novel uh, or a series of novels. So The Stand is actually very similar. It is, uh, Stephen King has called it uh, a tale of jerk Christianity, um, which it very much is. It's very epic and biblical, and there's a lot of death, (laughs) as there is in the Bible and in Left Behind, because, you know, end times. And so the concept here is that a government, a bioengineered illness that the government has created escapes its lab. Um, via a a guard or scientist, I don't remember, uh, in the opening of the book, and then spreads, the virus spreads. It feels and looks like a cold until you die. Like you think you have a cold and then all of a sudden it gets horrible and you, you know, drown in your own lung fluid. Um, And it takes like 
a month, I think, in the book for 99% of humanity to be completely wiped out. Um, so there's your apocalypse. And then the survivors, that happens like at the very beginning. And then the rest of the book, which is long, like the, you know, Left Behind series is, I think, seven books and the stand is like 1400 pages. So they're not the same, but it's still really long. Um, the survivors are coming together over the course of the novel to try and rebuild society in some way. But some of them have dreams where an old lady appears in their dreams and like calls them to her to rebuild society. And she turns out to be like a prophet of God, like actual God. And then some people who are not so nice, some survivors have dreams or what are really nightmares of a man named Randall flag, who is set up like an empire in, um, the, in Las Vegas, I think somewhere in the, the Western part of the U S. Um, and he is calling, not so great people to him also. And he's kind of not kind of, he is essentially the devil. Like he's the devil figure, um, in this novel. And he thinks that it's his destiny to destroy what's left of humanity. Um, and so he kind of goes on about doing that. And the survivors who were called to the prophet are going about trying to rebuild some sort of semblance of, um, like good, you know, society where people care about each other. Um, and it's not metaphorical. Like this is actually like God versus the devil. Um, and so that's what you're getting. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the exact same thing as left behind, except there's no literal interpretation of the Bible here. Stephen King is not doing, um, Christian apologetics or propaganda at all. It's very much like the God figure in the stand is old school, like old Testament, like demand, like violent, vengeful demands obedience this kind of thing so it's super epic like in 3,000 years if archaeologists dig up a copy of this stand I would not be surprised if they thought that this was like a religious text because uh, it's got all of those big biblical things going on in the, the same way as uh, Left Behind so that's The Stand by Stephen King uh, that is a great comp. I love that book. Um, so and yeah, if you have like a religious background, it is super interesting uh-huh. uh, <laughs> and also crazy. There was a mini series that got made of that in like the 90s mm-hmm. that I actually saw before I ever read the book. Um, and it was also crazy. Okay, anyway, uh, my pick for this is The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness, which is the first book in a series. Um, also, this is becoming a movie, and, um, oh my god, I know her name, from Star Wars Force Awakens. Uh, Daisy Ridley Ridley. has been cast in it. I still don't know exactly what she's going to do in it. I don't think they've announced it. But anyway, okay, it doesn't matter. It's getting made into a movie, um, so that's, it's timely to read it now. Um, And it's really good. So the first, so The Knife of Never Letting Go is about uh, life on another planet. Um, It's been, like, settled by people, or at least that's the implication, if I remember correctly. But in this world... Everybody can hear everybody's thoughts all the time. Like, all of your thoughts are basically broadcast on this telepathic frequency that, like, you kind of can't really control. Like, it's just happening all the time, Um, especially when you have intense emotions. But, um, you know, it's just a part of life, um, and they call that the noise. And the main character, Todd, um, who has a best dog friend whose thoughts he can also hear, like, every living thing broadcasts its, you know, thoughts out into the world um they find uh this area where there's silence um and they're like what is this i don't understand um and they're i can't like figure out how much to spoil or not spoil i guess not spoil there's a reason there's a silence there 
And it changes everything that Todd thinks he knows about the world that he's on and the life that he lives and, like, what the universe is actually like. Like, this huge, like, crazy moment where you're just like, what? Um, And then he has to go on this journey uh, to sort of... Oh, it's so hard to talk about this book without this one plot point, but I don't want to spoil (laughs) it. Um... Anyway, it's a okay. So I'll talk vaguely about it. It's an epic journey series. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of people, right? There's like the people who are going to be bad, and the people who are going to be good, and the people who are somewhere in between. And you don't know when you first meet them what they're going to be like. Um, it's definitely about a world that is like in crisis. So not quite the apocalypse of the stand or left behind, but like it's certainly a world in crisis. Um, Earth shattering truths coming out all over the place. Uh, So I think the feel is similar enough that this would, you know, scratch that same itch. Um, And it is a series. There's uh, at least three books in the series. Maybe it's just a trilogy. I can't quite remember. But um, anyway, I think you will really dig it. So that is The Knife of Never Letting Go, which is the first book in the Chaos Walking series by Patrick Ness. Okay, our second question is from Cher, and she says, I read across literary genres, but I seem particularly drawn to dark humor and flawed characters. One of my favorite series of the past few years has been Sarah Grant's smart, philosophical, and darkly funny Claire DeWitt mysteries, and there are only two so far and only one more expected, and I'm in serious withdrawal. Any reads in any genre you can recommend that are similar in tone. Okay, I'll just keep going. Um, Okay, so you said flawed characters, dark humor, mystery, and I immediately went to Jessica Jones. So that's my first pick for you. If you're open to comics or graphic novels, um, the first collection of the comics is called Jessica, it's called Alias, Jessica Jones, Volume 1. It's by Brian Michael Bendis. If you've seen the Netflix series, Jessica Jones, which if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's amazing. Um, It's loosely based on this first volume. Uh, the plot is not the same, but like the imagination of her character and what she's, how she's living right now is the same. So um, the idea is that Jessica Jones was a costume superhero in a past life, or not a past life, but like in her own past, um, named Jewel. She was a member of the Avengers uh, with Captain America and Iron Man and all of those people. Um, and then she wasn't very good. She actually really hated it, so she quits. And she becomes a private detective in New York. She's very unhappy. She's a chain-smoking kind of drunk. Her life's a wreck. Um, and she's, you know, just kind of trying to survive as an ex-superhero. And she um, takes up a case of a person who is looking who is ostensibly looking for her missing sister. So Jessica goes out to find her missing sister. And in the course of investigating this case, accidentally uncovers the secret identity of Captain America and she gets it on tape. And then, so she realizes she's, she realizes that she's kind of being set up. The woman who hired her is murdered um, or the woman that she was hired to find is murdered and she's arrested for it. And so she realizes, you know, that there's like something huge going on here. And then the rest of the, the comic is her trying to figure out, like to solve this mystery, who's setting her up? Why would anybody want to have the secret identity of Captain America on tape? Like, what should she do with the tape? Should she destroy it? Should she like turn it over to the Avengers? Like what if one of them is behind it? It's all very complicated. Um, there's a lot of really great scenes between her and Captain Marvel, um, who is her, normal name is Carol Danvers and they were like ex best friends and she goes to her for help. And, you know, so that's like a fun little subplot, but, um, Jessica Jones is hilarious and very, very deeply flawed. And there's a lot of philosophical stuff going on here. The concept of superheroes, a lot of it is like thinly veiled or even not so thinly veiled, um, 
like social commentary on how we treat immigrants and people of color. Um, so yeah, there's a lot going on and it's fun. It's comic. You can read it in like an hour. So that's Alias Volume 1, Jessica Jones by Brian Michael Bendis. Good pick. I love Thank Jessica you. Jones so it's much. So good. <laughs> <laughs> I also love Sarah Grant so much. I saw this question come in and I was like, oh, and that made it even harder for me because I kept being like, well, it's not quite right. Like I've been like very like Goldilocks about my picks for this. I changed <laughs> them. I have changed them literally five times since we started recording, which is ridiculous. Oh, no. um, anyway, I'm just stuck now with what I've got. I think they're yep. pretty good. Um, the first one is Beat the Reaper by Josh Bazel, uh, which is got a lot of that really kind of wonky, twisted humor that uh, that Sarah Grant is so good at. Um, it's a little less of like a detective story, but it is a murderish mystery. I mean, it's a mystery. Um, so the main character of Beat the Reaper is Peter Brown, who's an intern at like a terrible, like, you know, underserved population hospital in Manhattan. Um, he's got, he's like good at medicine. Um, you know, he always, he's working these terrible shifts. He's an intern. Um, and you come to find out that the reason he's there is he's sort of hiding from his past. Um, he is deeply familiar with the dark side of humanity because he used to be a hitman for the mob. And so, uh, so that, and so he gets pulled in to, of course, you know, you get out and then they pull you back in. He gets pulled back into this crazy, like, mob slash government slash somehow it's related to the hospital thing, crisis moment, um, and there's like all of this insane stuff happens. Like, there's a shark tank involved and, like, a knife made out of somebody's leg bone. And it's just really grisly, but also super fun. And you don't often find those two things paired together. Um, I remember when I first read this book, I was like, what just happened? Like, what just happened here? But it was a really enjoyable sort of crazy what just happened. Um, although if you have shark fears, I would not recommend reading this book. Uh, no. So that is Beat the Reaper by Josh Bazel. Oi. <laughs> it's intense. It's, okay. it's, it's a lot. It's really mm. fun, though. Okay, my second pick was, you know, we keep a... Um, a spreadsheet of all the titles that we recommend on the <laughs> so that we can make sure that we don't recommend something, you know, over and over and over again. Um, and I really went into the spreadsheet thinking like, I've probably recommended this book like five times. I cannot talk about it again. And I was surprised to see that I only talk about it once. So I feel Why? totally that justified. That can't be true. It's, yeah. It's I feel like I've recommended it three times. Well, whatever. Go for it. Unless <laughs> I've like made a mistake on the I spreadsheet. Don't know. Which is entirely possible. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a great book and it, so it fits. So my second pick is Out by Natsuo Karino, which is a really dark mystery um, out of Japan. And it's about four women who work the uh, night shift in a boxed lunch factory. Um, and they are all pretty poor or like lower, lo- lower middle class or like actually in poverty. They all have really difficult lives. Um, one of them is stuck dealing with her elderly mother-in-law who's really like awful and rude. One of them is deeply in debt and her boyfriend has just left her. Um, and one of them is in a kind of brutally violent marriage and her deadbeat husband comes home one day. He's like loses all their money gambling, um, or something like that. I don't remember the exact specifics. Anyway, he's awful. And she strangles him in self-defense. And so then she goes to her coworkers, her three coworkers at the factory and asks them for help disposing of the body and covering up the crime, which they do. They take the body to one of their, um, bathrooms, cut it up into little pieces and toss it 
get rid of it. Um, and then they realize that like, they're actually kind of good at that <laughs> and like start maybe doing it for criminals for extra money because they're all like, you know, in need of it. Um, so it's got kind of like a weird Thelma and Louise thing going on, but it's also funny in like really graveyard morbid kind of ways. Um, so you're looking for darkly humorous. This is going to deliver for you. Um, the, as far as like philosophical stuff going on, this book is like very thinly about, um, sexism like sexism in Japanese culture um how society at large treats women the positions that we put women in the choices that we force women into um that kind of thing and there's also mysteries going on like the yakuza which is like the Japanese mob gets involved and you are trying to figure out like the connection there um so there's a lot going on here and it's really great that's out by Natsuo Kurino yeah yeah uh cosine times a thousand um (laughs) my second pick for you is swamplandia by karen russell which is has some of the supernatural touches to it but you're not sure how supernatural they actually are which claire dewitt has in spades um and a lot of great female characters also and is super super dark um but also you know it's funny when this book came out Everybody was like, oh, it's this madcap family story. And they kept talking about how, like, darkly funny it was. I was like, great. And then I started reading it and was so traumatized because Ugh. awful, awful things happened to the characters and nobody had mentioned it to me. And I was like, okay, so I'm mentioning it to you. Um, trigger warnings for bad, bad stuff, um, including suicide and abuse. Uh, but so it's about the... Uh, it's about a family who live in Florida, and um, the main character, although she's not the only narrator of the book, Ava, is 12, and she's kind of trying to hold the family together. Um, her mother was an alligator wrangler, uh, hence the funny stuff, um, and she has died. Um, and the so the family business, which really like was like a gator wrestling park, you know, theme park kind of thing that they ran, um, everything is kind of you know run down, and there's no more visitors, and it's falling apart um and there's a competitor setting up a theme park nearby that's like a big corporate one called world of darkness um so their you know family finances are falling apart um her brother goes to work for world of darkness because he's like we need to make money i don't know how else to make money um and so you get his inside view of this crazy pants theme park um and then her sister is having an affair with a ghost uh which is maybe happening and maybe not happening. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, questioning of what is actually going on there. Um, And then their father is just kind of absent and a disaster. Uh, And so the book is about these three kids and, like, how they're trying to cope with all of the things that have happened to their family and and how successful or unsuccessful they are. Um, It's a really moving book. It is, like, really punches, you know, you in the feels a lot. Um, It does have a lot of really funny moments, too. So it's a a big, complex, moving story um, that I think will appeal to you in the same way that that Claire DeWitt does. So that is Swamp Labia by Karen Russell. Okay. Oh, next question. It me. Uh, This question is from Tara. Hi, Get Booked. I really enjoyed The Martian and Dave Eggers' The Circle. When Reading Lives interviewed Andy Weir, he mentioned that there are two different classes of science fiction, one being the more realistic, quote-unquote, hard science fiction. Based on the podcast, I have Ready Player One on hold at the library, but are there other notable hard science fiction books to check out? Oh, boy, are there ever. Um, But I've been talking for a while, so I'm going to let Amanda talk. 
Um, do you think it would be helpful? I just had this thought if we like kind of oh, said yeah. what, what hard sci-fi is. Cause sure. I actually was like, I don't think I understand this. Um, yeah. So hard science fiction is sci-fi that is based on like science, right? So like, there's a lot of actual science built into the book. Um, and it's not so much like no supernatural elements, no fantasy elements, that kind of thing. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, I think of when I like, so what I would consider sort of softer science fiction is star Wars. Like there's the force and you like, theoretically now we know it's like midichlorians or whatever, but at least in the original trilogy, like it, it basically functions like magic does. Um, Mm. and there is that whole Arthur C. Clarke, like, you know, any sufficiently advanced technology is magic, blah, blah, blah. But most, of the hard science fiction classics which is like Heinlein and Silverberg and like all of those authors um, they tried to make it as like conceivably sciencey as possible so there's limited like you know inexplicable or supernatural influences or basically none is how I understand it right right okay <clears throat> All right, so my first pick for this was The Three-Body Problem by Shisen Liu, which is translated by Ken uh, Liu. And, man, hard sci-fi. Like, some of the science in this book, like, sort of went over my head a little bit because I'm not a physicist. Um, so the book is split into two time periods. Uh, one is in the, the 1960s during the Cultural Revolution uh, in China, and the character there, Yi, uh, witnesses the Red Guards uh, beat her father to death during the Cultural Revolution. And this kind of shapes the rest of her life. She eventually starts working on a secret project on a, um, like a top secret Chinese military base. Um, so you're bouncing back and forth between her story and then present day uh, during which a, a nanotech engineer whose name is Wang gets involved in, um, with the, the Beijing police, the Beijing police are investigating first the suicide of a scientist. And then a couple of other scientists start dying and they ask him cause it's in his like community to help them. And while he is helping the investigators, it, like his looking into the situation leads him to this weird game online. Um, it's like a virtual reality game. And in the game, the uh it's like in a weird not weird but like an alternate universe where the three you're on like a planet that has three suns and they're the sun's orbits are unpredictable um and so sometimes in this world um the suns are too far away and everybody freezes to death sometimes they're too close and everybody burns up sometimes they mess up the gravity or whatever and there are all of these like infinite um combinations of the distances of these suns that change how this world functions. And in the game, you have to figure out how to like save the civilization from the, the unknowable effects of these, um, suns and their movements. So you're in this game with him trying to like figure out how to play it. And then you're also trying to like solve these murders. And then you're also back in 1960 in the, in the cultural revolution with Yi trying to, um, like discern what her job is on this secret base. And I'm not going to tell you anymore because like big spoilers um but it is like the nanotechnology in the book is nanotechnology and like the three-body problem is an actual like theoretical physics problem that the whole book like is setting out to solve and discuss and intersect um while also trying to ask questions about like earth's place in the grand universe so it's very complicated uh this is like yeah hard hard science fiction so that's the three-body problem by uh she sent loop I was so excited when this question came in because I just (laughs) finished a book that counts for it, and I'm so excited to talk about it. The book is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, and it is about a crew of people 
who operate a wormhole building ship. So they're like basically a constructing crew, but the thing that they construct is wormholes, um, which is super cool. And uh, there's a lot of stuff about like subspace and hyperspace and faster than light travel. That's kind of in the background. Like it gets talked about enough that you're like, ah, I see the theory behind this. But it's not like super heavy on it, um, which is what I appreciate. Like my favorite kind of hard sci-fi is not the kind that like necessarily goes so deep into the science. It's more like here is the science that we are using and now we move on to the plot. Um, and, uh, And so they get hired to create a wormhole, like, basically on the other side of the galaxy um, as part of a sort of treaty with with the, gosh, what are they called? It's like, a, like the, you know, galactic union or whatever, except that's not what they're called, but I can't remember what they're called. And a, <laughs> and a species that formerly has not been a part of it, they're, like, very, they're very warlike. Nobody really knows what their deal is. They're very hard to talk to. Um, they're an alien species that like people are like all other species are just kind of have been avoiding because they are just so violent. Um, but apparently one sect of the species is like making a treaty. And part of the treaty is that they have, uh, you know, trade lines open. And to do that, you need a wormhole. So this crew gets hired to build a wormhole. So the book is mostly them on their way, as the title would suggest, right? The long way to a small angry planet. It's them on the way. Um, and it's an inter species crew and humanity is like a minor species in this uh, universe which is great um so there's i guess there's uh, there's four humans on board and then three aliens and an ai yes um and my favorite thing about this is that there are a bunch of romantic relationships and none of them are within the same species which is (laughs) so interesting the way it's handled because there are all these like you know, biological and cultural and social and interactive differences um, that Becky is just like, let's explore that. Uh, So that's super fun. Um, And, you know, each uh, member of the crew has their own story. They're coming from different places. Some of them are maybe like not so upfront about who they really are. Some of them are exactly what they appear to be. Um, Some of them are like kind of on the shady side of things. It's a really enjoyable story. Um, Great characters. And I have, I had, don't often experience hard sci-fi that's this much, that has this much humor packed into it. Um, Like John Scalzi is a good example of somebody who also does this well. Like his books are funny and also very um, readable and very science fiction-y, which is great. Um, But I just, I don't know. There's not, in my experience anyway, there's not so many other authors out there doing that. Um, And so every time I find a new one, I get super excited about it. And Becky Chambers is really, really good at it. So uh, that book is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, which appears to be also appears to be the first in a series so we can only hope (laughs) okay my second pick is time salvagers by wesley chu which is such a fun book um so in this universe earth is like an abandoned world it's toxic and gross um like very wally kind of uh where we've like just destroyed it and humanity is flung out among other um planets and their moons and is like eking out a fragile existence scientists have predicted that humanity only has a certain amount of time um, before it goes extinct. Um, And in order to counteract that, um, we have kind of not, we've kind of developed time travel basically. And um, time travelers call themselves cron men and their job is to go back in time and take resources and treasure that can, you know, um, 
bring in money and uh, stuff that humanity needs and bring it back to the present to help us survive without altering the timeline. There are laws uh, like time travel sounds like it wouldn't be like a hard sci-fi thing, but it is in this universe. There are very specific scientific laws that govern the use of time travel. It's based on mathematics and like the physics of this universe. Um, if you break any of the laws of time travel, you 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 die basically. Um, most cron men don't ever reach old age. They don't usually last longer than two years. Um, they usually die or kill themselves because of the stress of the job. The main character's name is James. Um, he's on like his last mission one that's going to bring him a lot of money uh, and kind of like secure his retirement so he can just go drink himself to death or do whatever it is he wants to do. Um, But while he's in the past doing this thing, he meets a woman named Elise, who's a scientist from another century, obviously, who he knows is destined to die. He knows how she's going to die. And he violates all of his training and all of the, the laws of physics and time travel and brings her back to the future to save her life. And in doing that, makes them both fugitives. So in the rest of the book, they have to figure out how to find allies, survive um, without the support of the government or the uh, the existing, you know, like society because they're fugitives. So they have to find food and all of this on Earth, which is, um, you know, a poisonous wasteland, essentially. Um, so it's like it's really fun. It's more fun, I guess. It's fun for me. I had fun reading it. Adventure. Um, and yeah, really, really hard science fiction based on the science of time travel, which makes my, time travel always makes my brain like... <laughs> A little owie, you yeah. know, like you watch 12 Monkey or not. Is it 12 um, Monkeys? No. Yeah. Yes. That is time travel. That yeah. is a time travel like, movie. Mm-hmm. What? By the end, yeah. I just, but what if? No. Time loops hurts. are like the thing that frustrates me most about that stuff. I'm just like, no, but okay, but the loop. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how. No. 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 <laughs> that didn't really happen here. Like it's, it's explained in a way that that's like nice. made sense to my brain uh, and didn't cause me physical pain delightful Um, (laughs) it's time salvager by wesley chu i'm gonna have to get that one um okay so my second pick for you is sort of an old-timey classic Uh, it's picnic on paradise by joanna russ which was i think published in like the 60s late 60s um joanna russ is great she and uh um i almost called her alice tripty Tiptree, it's Alice Sheldon slash James Tiptree Jr. Uh, were, you know, among the sort of pioneering female uh, science fiction writers, um, along with like Ursula Le Guin and Octavia Butler, but they don't have quite as much, well, Tiptree has plenty of recognition. Joanna Russ, I feel like, is not as recognized as I would like her to be. Um, and this book is, I guess it's technically a novella. It's short. Um, it's super fun. Uh, it is about a woman. It does actually have time travel, but not the same kind of time travel. Um, it's about a woman who is sort of an early humanity person um, from the Mediterranean area. Like, she's short, um, she's dark and, you know, small-boned and sort of small in general. Like, she's described as much smaller than the rest of the people in the book. But she's brought back um, basically 4,000 years into the future uh, as part of this. uh, She's a trans-temporal agent is what they call it. And she's a survival expert because she, you know, became a human on earth in a time when survival was very difficult. There was no technology. Um, so, and she gets dropped uh, her mission. She gets dropped onto this tourist planet that is suddenly embroiled in this terrible war, uh, to save up a, a group of like partiers basically. Um, and she has to get them from where they are to where they need to be, uh, to get extracted from this planet that is suddenly no longer a tourist paradise. Um, and so there's a lot of things going on, obviously, Obviously, um, the group is a lot of them are like, you know, it's like 
imagine like a bunch of like you know kid, like college students who are like in Ibiza or something like that like and it suddenly breaks out into war like how would they behave that is how a lot of these people behave she just has no time for it Alex is her name um and she also has to deal with, as you might expect, like some gender and like other issues like, oh, they're so much more advanced than her, you know, physically and they're men and they can take care of her. And she just like lays it all to waste um, and takes charge. And, you know, this, the book is them trudging across this landscape, trying to get to the extraction point and she's trying to keep them alive. Um, it's so well done. I thought the world building was really cool. I really loved the characters. Um, it goes a couple directions that I wasn't expecting it to and all in a novella which is very short um so there's a lot of good stuff in here and then if you like it she's got other stuff that you can read so she's a good resource like for you know hard sci-fi if you need just more 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 she is a great person to read so that is picnic on paradise by joanna russ okay question four is from cassandra and she says i'll be spending a month in asia this september all by myself which means i'll have a lot of uninterrupted reading time so for that month, I want to attempt to read my way through the cities I'm visiting. If you have suggestions of books by authors from Hong Kong, Japan, or South Korea, please let me know. Bonus, if you can narrow it down to the cities I'm visiting, uh, Seoul, Busan, Tokyo, Kyoto, and Osaka. Please no Murakami. I want something different. Um, fair enough. <clears throat> okay, so my first pick for you is The Expatriates by Janice Y.S. Lee, who is an author from Hong Kong, and the book takes place in Hong Kong. It's about three women who have left the U.S. and have moved to Hong Kong and are living there um, for whatever reason. The three main characters are Mercy, who is a recent graduate of Columbia. She's um, Korean-American, I believe. And unlike her other um, college classmates, she has grown up in a kind of lower middle class family. Um, you know, everybody else she goes to school with in Columbia is super rich. And Mercy, because of like superstitions in her culture is believes that she is like cursed with bad luck. Um, and so she makes like every decision that she makes, even though she thinks it's the right one turns out to be the wrong one. So her life is kind of not where she wanted it to be. She moved to Hong Kong, hoping to, hoping it would be easier for him to find a job after graduation. Um, and she's now living in like a 200 square foot studio in Hong Kong, trying to put her life back together after something horrible has happened to her. And then you're also following Margaret. Who's the mother of three was the mother of three, um, at the opening of the book, she moves to Hong Kong with her husband who, because of his job, now she's like a housewife, essentially. Um, she starts off as the mother of three and is now the mother of two. And so you're following her as she deals with the loss of her child. Um, and you know that it had something to do with Mercy, uh, the first character. And then the last main character is Hillary, who can't have kids. And that is like kind of the bane of her existence. Um, and so it is ostensibly about these three characters, right, dealing with loss and grief um, and tragedy, but it's also very much about people traveling to Hong Kong and living there when they are not from there, specifically about how wealthy white people move to Hong Kong and take up residence, um, and live, create these like insular, insulated communities of upper class whiteness amidst this sea of not whiteness and what that experience is like, what it does to Hong Kong society, what it does to the economy, um, small local neighborhoods, all of that kind of thing. So it's both a social commentary and like a really excellent examination of grief, which was kind of a singular reading experience for me. I don't think I've read something that combined those two things in such a, a really great way. And this is literary fiction, but it's so page turnery. Like I sat down, I got it from the library because I'd heard great things about it, I think from Liberty. Um, and I got it from the library and it was one of those things where like I sat down, read a page to kind of try and get 
a feel for her writing style and then looked up and it was like an hour later and I was halfway through it. So um, I love when that happens. Uh, so that's The Expatriates by Janice Wyesley. All right. I want to mention um, that we talked about a bunch of Japanese authors in episode 38 because we had a similar like Japanese authors who are not Murakami question. Mm-hmm. Um, so you should check out those as well. So that's episode 38. Um, and then my first pick for you is about Seoul uh, and Korea. Um, and it is The Birth of Korean Cool by Yuni Hong. It is nonfiction. Um, I, this book is really entertaining. Um so Yuni Hong is a Korean American who moved, her family moved to Korea um, back, I guess, for her parents, but it was the first time she lived there when she was a kid um, to the Gangnam neighborhood, uh, immortalized in Gangnam style, the song that you are all familiar with. Um, she, and she basically did like a bunch of her middle school years in Korea before coming back to the United States. So she was, as she says, she uh, experienced Korea before it was cool um, and has all of these theories about how it is that Korea became this exporter of culture, right? Like we've got Psy and we've got K-pop and we've got K-dramas and all of these things that you you may or may not be familiar with them. But even if you don't know uh, about Korean culture, this book is a really entertaining read. Um, it's definitely like a pop culture examination of, you know, the export of Korean culture to the world at large. She's very snarky. She's very flip, um, which makes it a very enjoyable reading experience. But it's not like, like, I don't want it's not like rigorous academic scholarship or anything like that. Like it's fun. It's very journalistic. It's very narrative. Um, she interviews a bunch of people who have been involved in like this actual concerted effort to export Korean culture. Like there's a plan and a ministry that's in charge of it and there's funding and, um, like there's this great moment where she's talking to a break dancer who is like, yeah, man, like the government should really invest in us more. Like we have so much that we can bring to the world stage. And like how often, like that's not a thing you would hear in America is a bu- mm-hmm. like a, a breakdancing crew being like, oh man, the government should really fund us. Like that would never happen. But it happens in Korea, uh, South Korea. It's a thing that happens. Um, and so she is, you know, exploring this through the, the lens of her own life and the people that she's interviewing. Um, and it's a super interesting, very entertaining read. Uh, and I feel like it would be cool to like, read the book and like walk around you know especially the Gangnam neighborhood but she talks about Seoul a bunch uh it would be very cool to read it and be there and like see the changes from when she was there as a child so that is the excuse me the birth of Korean cool by Yuni Hong Okay, my second pick for you is I'll Be Right There by Kyung Suk Shin. And this takes place in South Korea in the 80s, actually. Um, And the main character's name is Jung. Uh, She's a woman in her 20s. She's very literature, like, like not literature. She's very literature. What does that mean? She's very literate (laughs) and, like, into European literature. So a lot of the book is told through the lens of European literature. Um, And so the book opens. She gets a phone call from an ex-boyfriend, a guy she dated in college, um, who she hasn't spoken with in over eight years. And this sets her down. Um, it's a phone call about their the, their favorite professor, and it sets her down this you know kind of memory lane of the of of the eighties of going to college of her um, friendship with this guy and also her best friend and like their love triangle situation, um, her relationship with her favorite professor, and all of this is set against the backdrop of a, a student protest that was going on at the time that turned out to be very violent, um, that was protesting like the authoritarian nature of the government. And it was a, you know, very grassroots kind of thing. And uh, one of the things about this book is there's no political background really given to, um, 
the protest or its revolutionary nature. So when I read the book, I had to go do some kind of extra research to figure out what exactly was happening. Um, not in the book, it's not very plot oriented. It's very much about like misty watercolored memories, but I wanted, you know, context. So, um, you might have to go do that if you're like sort of unfamiliar with South, South Korean history or politics. Anyway. Um, so all of that is to say there, um, it's got kind of like a shockingly violent sort of, um, not, not conflict. Uh, man, I can't think of the word. It's not the ending. Like, big Day, moment. Denouement. Day, thank you. Uh, it's got like a shockingly violent denouement, um, which you aren't expecting because so much of the book is about this woman remembering like her relationships and like her relationship with her mother um, and like going to college and having these philosophical intellectual conversations with her um, professor. And so much of it is about that sort of thing, um, about just like the daily life of a college student. Um, and then this big just like shocking thing happens um, at the end that I'm not going to tell you anything about because it's very spoilery. Um, but yeah, it's a lot. It's like about love and friendship and politics in this sideways sort of way. Um, and I just really loved it. Like it's very quiet. It's one of those like very quietly sad sort of novels. So that's I'll Be Right There by Kyung Suk Shin. I have another Korean author for you. I kind of fell down a rabbit hole and found so many good things. And I was just like, well, they're, they're really good. Uh, so I'm going to recommend them. Um, and the second pick I have for you is The Calligrapher's Daughter by Eugenia Kim. And this is one of those uh, historical novels that has like that really quiet um, but intense feel to it uh, that I just... Like, I'm a sucker for it. It hits me every time. So it takes place in early 20th century Korea. Um, And the main character is a young girl who uh, is sort of, you know, you're following her perspective for the most part throughout the book. And so she's watching the adults around her and, you know, trying to figure out, like, how the world works. Um, And she has not been named by her father. Her father has never formally given her a name, which typically happens um, at this point in Korean history uh, after 100 days. Um, So the baby, when, you know, when the baby turns 100 days old, they get their name. She's never been named Um, for various reasons that kind of, you know, get guessed at through the course of the novel. Her father's very stern, very traditional, um, and her mother is doing her best to exist inside of those traditions, but she's also, she was well-educated, and she wants the same, if not even more, for her daughter. So she's always trying to find opportunities um, to further her daughter's education in a system and society where that's not always possible. So that's sort of what's going on with the family. Oh, and then a younger brother is born. So, you know, you've got the first son um, in the family who is the second child. And so uh, the girl is obviously like, you know, there to help take care of and raise the boy. And her place in the family is a much, uh, is a very supportive role, but not a prime primary role. Um, And because this is early 20th century, uh, this is also during the Japanese occupation. And so uh, the father is part of the resistance movement. Um, He's a calligrapher, as you might guess from the title, Um, once was, you know, well regarded at court um, and is sort of part of the aristocracy. um, But that does not protect him from the repercussions of being involved in the resistance to the Japanese. Um, And so there's a lot of stuff in here that's, you know, about the political history of the country and the way it developed 
there's also a lot of stuff about Christianity in here because the mother in the story is a, a, a Christian convert and um, is raising her daughter in the church. And there's a lot of interesting, you know, things about how the role that missionaries played in Korea um, and the Christian community, how it, you know, was part of this developing moment. Um, but it's also about the young girl who gets nicknamed Najin um, and trying to like becoming, you know, as invested in her education as her mother was and trying to find ways to further that in this society that's not particularly lending itself to it. Um, and apparently this book is based on the author's own mother's childhood story, which I think is interesting. And so there's just a wealth of information here about like Korean history and women's roles in that history. Um, and the, you know, the political history of the country. and But it's all in this very, like, sort of zoomed-in daily life view that starts as a child. So, you know, you can tell things by the story she's telling you, but, you know, she doesn't really understand what's going on around her, which is just heartbreaking sometimes um, and also a little bit funny some other times. So it's just a really amazing novel. I'm really, really loving it. So that is The Calligrapher's Daughter by Eugenia Kim. Oh, and it's time for... Oh, wait, no. Yes, second sponsor. It is second sponsor time. Okay. So our second sponsor is a middle grade novel, which I know we have a bunch of librarians and teachers and educators listening. So this, you want this one on your radar. It is called Still a Work in Progress by Joe Knowles, who you may have read. She's written a bunch of great books, um, award-winning books, and books that have ended up on the band list. Um, so clearly she's not afraid of tackling difficult topics. And this book is no exception. It's about a boy named Noah who is just starting seventh grade and is like, you know, kind of confused about how seventh grade works. Like suddenly girls are a thing or maybe not a thing or should they be a thing? Um, and the homework is just terrible. And his friends are like, you know, sometimes they're being weird. Sometimes they're still being friends. Sometimes it's hard to navigate that kind of stuff. Um, and there's also a thing going on with his family. His older sister, Emma, has been acting very strange um, ever since, you know, insert capitals here, the thing they don't talk about. Uh, and so he feels like he thinks he's doing better, that she's doing better, but it starts to become clear that she's not, in fact, doing better. Um, and the only place that he really feels sort of himself and, like, not stressed out by everything that's going on around him is an art class, and he really loves his art classes and does really well there. Um, but otherwise, things are just kind of feel like they're spiraling, you know, a little bit spiraling out of control. So this is a book about a boy who um, is you know, the sibling to somebody with a serious problem. And it's about how his family is or is not dealing with the problem that his sister has. Um, it's about just trying to adjust to life in, you know, seventh grade, which is a really tricky age. Um, and it's really sweet and really funny and also very heartfelt and, you know, not afraid to tackle these issues that do affect kids. Um, and it's, you know, I feel like we got a lot, of, we deservedly get a lot of books from the perspective of the person who's having the problem, but it's also really great to see this book about, you know, the sibling um, and what it is like to live in a family that's dealing with a crisis when it's not your crisis. Uh, so that is a book you should definitely check out. It is called Still a Work in Progress by Joel Knowles. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Still your turn. Still my turn. Oh my God. So much talking. So much talking. Okay, here we go. Question five 
from Sabrina. Uh, hi, my name is Sabrina, and I'm a junior at a university in the Philadelphia area. I lived in an apartment with a roommate that I pay for myself, not through loans or my parents. I work two jobs and make a relatively pitiful amount. Yay, retail jobs. Girl, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I, I have been there, done that. Uh, question goes on. I have a sort of budget thing going and managed to save about 100 to $200 a month on average. I also manage to spend money on things like books, yarn, cooking appliances. The point is I cannot find any good books for personal finance. I want to know how to invest, retirement funds, bonds, etc. anything that will make me more financially literate. I'm not interested in getting rich. I just want something realistic and readable. Amanda, talk now. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to go fast because we're almost out of time. So my first uh, pick for you is The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, which I feel like is a good selection for somebody who doesn't know anything about money management at all. So the concept behind his book is he has these um, steps of like if you have your finances are in a mess, you have no idea what you're doing, you've got debt, you have no savings, um, you have no investments, where do you start when you're in that situation? And so he's got steps that are very easy to follow. The first one is do what you can to create an, uh, an emergency fund of $1,000, then do what you can to get out of debt, then do what you can um, to save up six months of expenses. Then he goes on to talk about investments, like what a you know what's the difference between a Roth IRA and a 401k? I don't know. Um, and so he tells you and like what investments to avoid. Um, it's very 101 level, very basic and a great starting point for somebody who has never touched any sort of, um, you know, money thing beyond like your checking account. So that's The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Um, my first pick for you is a book that I used um, uh, when I was still working retail jobs, uh, and it's called I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And um, I will say in advance that the tone of this book is a little bro-y, for lack of a better word. Like, it's very, like yo, what's up? Like, I'm going to tell you all the things. And you're like, okay, that's nice. Um, but it's not so much that it's off-putting. And he has super great advice. He's got like this six-week personal finance program for 20 to 35-year-olds. Um, and he talks about banking, saving, budgeting, and investing, like all of the things that you're talking about. Um, he has actual scripts for doing things like calling your credit card company to try to get your rate reduced or like dealing with your student loans or, you know, what to say to somebody when you're trying to negotiate like a personal loan, like all of this stuff, like there's actual scripts of things like you can read over the phone to a person. Cause like, I don't, you know, I didn't know how to make those phone calls or even that I was allowed to make those phone calls. Um, and he really, is just like, here's how you do it. Here's what you do. Um, and I think it's very straightforward. Matter of fact, there's a website that has like extra stuff uh, if you want that. But I think you could do, even if you don't like follow it point by point, you know, do the six week plan. There's a lot of really useful information in here and like very practical advice. So that is, I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. Okay, my second pick for you is Get a Financial Life by Beth Koblener. And the reason why I picked this one is because the subheading is personal finance in your 20s and 30s. So the Dave Ramsey book, uh, Total Money Makeover, is a little bit um, family-oriented, like people with kids, uh, people looking to buy a house kind of a thing. Um, there's a lot of talk in that book about like talking about money with your spouse and that sort of stuff. Um, the Beth Koblener book, Get a Financial Life, is more about from the perspective of people who are in their 20s, early 30s, probably not married, probably no kids, you, you're a renter, that sort of thing. Um, and so the the advice in this one, it was written in the, the mid 90s, but there's a new edition about to come out updated. So keep an eye out for that. But it covers stuff like 
the stock market? Like, what is it? How do I invest in it? What am I supposed to do? Like how to refinance your credit cards if your interest rates are too high? Um, using the internet to find great rates for your car payments and that sort of thing. Um, and it, like Dave Ramsey, it does define like a Roth IRA, a 401k, what you're, uh, how to get those things um, if your job doesn't provide them. Um, life insurance, do you need it or not? What the heck is a mutual fund? Um, and it's designed for people who make not a lot of money or people who make a lot of money. So if you make, you know, 20k a year, you'll get a lot out of this book. If you make 200k, you'll probably still get a lot out of this book. Um, but it is more aimed at people who make towards the 20k uh, end of the spectrum. So that's Get a Financial Life, Personal Finance in Your 20s and 30s by Beth Kobliner. And my second pick is one that I'm using right now and really loving. Um, I appreciate all those super practical advice books, but like also there's some habits that I have a really hard time breaking no matter how many times it's like, here are the steps to getting financially solvent. Mm -hmm. um, and this book is really addressing that, which I appreciate. So it's called The Perfect Balance, How to Get Ahead Financially and Still Have a Life by Hannah McQueen. And she is, one of, one of the things that's like a little quirky about this book for me as an American is that it's written... Like, she's from New Zealand, and she's talking about, like, every now and then something very specifically New Zealandy will pop up <laughs> in the book, and I'm like, oh, what's that word? Like, what is that a thing? But, like, really, this the advice is international and useful. Um, and the thing that's slightly different about this book is she's talking about um, personal money styles and also the sort of mental traps that are, you can fall into when you're trying to manage your money but not succeeding. Um, so she like kind of leads you through these questions to figure out like w if your money is disappearing and you're not sure why or how, like here's how to figure it out. Here's how to recognize why it is that you keep falling into that money trap. Um, and here's the, you know, a basic way to get ahead. Um, it also does include information for like spouses and people who are buying, you know, a house or like trying to refinance a mortgage, which is not relevant to me or to you from what it sounds like. Um, but it's very easy to skip to the points that are useful and they're super useful. I really like knowing the psychology behind like why I make bad money choices sometimes. Um, <laughs> And I think it's useful in a way that just like being told that you need to save more is not necessarily useful. So figuring out why you're not having an easy time of it is very helpful. So that is The Perfect Balance uh, by Hannah McQueen. And that's, that's our, our show. Oh, <laughs> well, that was in sync that time. Um, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, please do go and rate us on iTunes. Um, it helps other people find the show, and we love to see your feedback. You can also tweet at us, talk to us on social media. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. And thank you so much to our sponsors, The Call by Amanda, say the author's name. Oh, no, I don't have it in front of me. Patter, Patter O'Gillian? Yes, O'Gillian. Right? Yes, Patter okay. O'Gillian. I didn't want to mess it up. And, uh, <laughs> excuse me, um, Still a Work in Progress by Joe Knowles. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Check those out. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.